0: Today, we welcome a special guest as our senior pastor, Dr. Charles Redmond shares a message from 1 Thessalonians chapter four titled, Live to Please God. Knowing the will of God is very, very easy.
1: You may not think of it that way, but it's true. You say, how's that so? Well, number one, God gave you a brain. God gave you a brain. And your brain could look at many things and say, Now, if I did that, that would not be in the will of God. Or if I did not do that, well then that would not. I mean, we have minds, we have brains. I mean, you don't have to get your Bible out to figure out everything. God gave us all a brain. But not only do we have a brain to know the will of God, better we have the Bible. We all have the Bible. What is the value of all this? The value is God's given us a Bible. When the Bible speaks, God speaks, and the Bible clearly teaches us things that are the will of God. For example, we have the 10 commandments. Well, I mean, they're just black ink on white paper. We have 10 things, some we are not to do, some we are to do, it's clear as a bell. Not only that, we have the Sermon on the Mount over in the New Testament, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. You know, if you talk about a practical portion of Scripture, uh, it's God's will that you and I are salt and light as we live our life every day, that's the will of God. The Bible is very clear. The Bible says we're to pray. The Bible in the Sermon on the Mount talks about forgiveness. The Bible talks about not judging other people. So you you have three chapters in the gospel of Matthew that just are filled with things that are the will of God. And then we have these other books in the New Testament. And in these books, there are some verses and passages that say, literally, this is the will of God. I mean, those words are there in black ink on white paper. And it's exciting to me, for example. It's the will of God that people be saved. The Bible says God's not willing that it should perish, so it's God's will. Uh, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is the will of God. The Bible is, it it is God's will that we not be conformed to this world. In Romans chapter 12, you can read those first two verses and you'll encounter the words, for this is the will of God that we not let the world conform us to their standard. Bible says it's the will of God that Christians be filled with the spirit. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. That's the will of God. It is the will of God that Christians submit to governing authorities. In fact, the Bible is just crystal clear about that. It even has the words for this is the will of God. Now, if our government authorities, they may make a ruling that opposes what God teaches. That's a different matter. But I'm saying to you, as Christian people, you know, whether, whatever government authority it, it is, the Word of God says it's His will that we obey those authorities. Now, this morning, I want us to think about something the Bible clearly says is the will of God that is mentioned seldom. And I'm talking about what the Bible has to say about sanctification being. The will of God. Now, if you'll open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians, the apostle Paul, when he left Philippi, he and Silas left Philippi, they traveled to Thessalonica. And when he got to Thessalonica, they immediately on the Sabbath went to a synagogue. Now we're talking about a Jewish church service is how you and I'd say it. It's a synagogue. In Philippi, there were no synagogues. There were not enough men in Philippi to have a synagogue. The Jewish law said there had to be 10 men, 10 heads of families, men, to have a synagogue in a, in a town. Well, Philippi didn't have that. And that's how Paul went out and met Lydia by the water, the river, okay. But in Thessalonica, a huge, huge city in the day of the apostle Paul. Here's, here's this synagogue he went in. And the Bible says on three consecutive Sundays, he went into the Jewish synagogue and reasoned with them that Christ was the Messiah. <laughs> now, folks, that'd go over like a lead blue. That'd be like somebody coming in here that doesn't believe in Jesus and having this pulpit and saying, folks, I've come to tell you that Jesus is a hoax. Jesus is not God. Well, you and I would, that's blasphemy. We'd think, you know, what's going on here? Well, think how the Jewish people felt. Here's a man coming and he's saying to them, you you people are missing the boat. Jesus is a Messiah. Well, it created such an uproar that they had to get Paul and Silas out at nighttime for safety's sake. But while he was there, he started a church and the church flourished. It grew. People were coming to Christ and he travels on then to Athens and then to Corinth. And while in Corinth, he writes a letter. Timothy's back, pastor in this church. And he writes a letter, number one, to encourage the people. You know, folks, Christians need to be encouraged. Is that not true? We all do. Well, that's why he wrote this letter. And then he wanted to express his love to them. And then he wanted to emphasize the return of Christ in the book of First Thessalonians. In chapter 4, you have a great section of scripture on, on the return of Christ. And then he wanted to say because of the return of Christ, his coming should have a practical effect and impact on your life living now. And all that letter is what we have here in these little books, First and Second Thessalonians. Now, We are looking in 1 Thessalonians chapter number four, and we pick up in the part of the letter where he's talking about the practical effect that the promised return of Christ should have on and in the life of believers. So let's just read a little scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. It says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Literally how you ought to live in a way to please God. So he's he's saying, look, because of what's going to happen, you need to be living in a way that pleases God. He said, for you know what commandment we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now here it is in the Bible. Here it is. It's God's will, what? Sanctification. And then Paul knew they needed to experience sanctification in many areas, but it's interesting. He zeroes in the moral purity area. And I believe the reason he did that was he knew that if they could win in this area, they could have victory in every area. So let's see what he had to say. He said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, his body, in sanctification and honor, and not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, Gentiles here is used in a spiritual sense, talking about people that are not believers, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. Paul's saying, This is not something I'm advising you would be good. This is what God says, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. You see, sexual impurity is not just a mistake. No, no, no. Think it through. Sexual impurity uh, is, is worship of pleasure over worship of God. Whatever the pleasure is, it matters not, is like a blocked artery and it hinders the process of sanctification. Now, think about that. Worship of pleasure over God. Now, here he zeroed in on sexual purity, but this applies to everything. We live in a day where pleasure has become the God. It really has. It's just this pleasure. That, and all pleasure is not evil, but all pleasure is evil when you worship a pleasure, whatever it is, over worship of God. And so this is what the apostle Paul is saying. He was saying it to them so long ago, but it applies to us today in such a, such a real way. Now, here's the a, here's a situation. When, when a person becomes a Christian, think in your life when you became a Christian, three things happened instantaneously to you. And the Bible calls one of those things regeneration. And what that big old word simply means, it means that God imparts new life in you. In fact, jot a Bible verse down. I'll turn back and just read it. But in Galatians chapter four, in verse number 19, the Apostle Paul said, I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So I was a little boy when I trusted Jesus. Think when you trusted Jesus, what did God do? Well, if the moment you transferred your trust and your good life and your good works and you transferred that trust over into Jesus and his work on the cross shed in his blood to pay for your sins. The moment you did that, here's what happened. Instantly, instantly, God imparted new life into you. And the Bible calls that regeneration. Now, a second thing that happened to you when you became a Christian was what the Bible calls justification. That's another of these big old long Bible words. And all that word really means is that God at that moment looked at all of your sins committed as forgiven. It's just like as though they never had happened. That's what justification is. And then a third thing happened. And the third thing is, the Bible calls it adoption. That just simply means, you read in the Bible, it means you became a member of the family of God. Now, here's the picture I want you to get. The moment you trusted Jesus, instantaneously, these three things took place in your life. Regeneration, justification, and adoption. Now, having said that, those three, regeneration, justification, adoption, they, uh, they occur at the beginning of our Christian life. The remainder of your Christian life the Bible calls sanctification. Now, let's think about that just quickly a moment. Just, I'll just take my illustration, but you make your own illustration. I became a Christian when I was about a little, I was in my sevens. I was a seven-year-old boy, about, maybe about seven and a half. But I'll just round off say seven years old. So now that means... As a little boy, and I didn't understand the word uh, regeneration, justification, sanctification, I just knew God was speaking to my little heart. I gave all of me that I knew to all of God I knew. I've never doubted that. But the point is, three things happened to me. Now, think when you became a Christian. Now, you may not know the day, date, and hour, but think of when at that time in your life you felt like, I know I made things right with God. I settled things with God. Okay, here's what happened. When you transferred faith in yourself to your trust and faith in Jesus, God imparted new life in you. God looked at your past sins and saw them all as forgiven, just as though they'd never happened. And he adopted you into his family. All that happened. Now my case for 73 more years and still ticking to the glory of God, I've been out here on this journey. The Bible calls sanctification. So I've been in on this journey, 73 years. Now, go back to you. When did you become a Christian, all right? That moment, until this very moment, you're living in what the Bible calls this period of sanctification. You say, well, what is sanctification? Sanctification is simply, very simply, growth in likeness to Christ. That's I mean, it's a big old word, but that's what it means. It's just growth in likeness to Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And it, it just, it, it'll never can be completed. In fact, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you, in me, I was seven years old, will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, you will never be complete in your sanctification until you either go to be with the Lord, or that day he returns and then we'll move to glorification. But that's where, so you're somewhere in this journey, this process of becoming more Christ-like, which simply means that we are to live our life, making our decisions and having a lifestyle in the likeness of Christ. That's the standard. That's what we're striving for. That's what God's plan for us is. And so we're to grow. It's, but here's the thing. It's a process. Whereas regeneration and justification and adoption, they were all instantaneous. But this is a process. It's a journey. And somewhere in that journey, all of us are and heading where God has us to be. Now, here's the encouraging thing. God has a role in this process of sanctification. It's not like... We put our faith and trust in you. We're saved. Okay, what I've got to do, I've got to do it all by myself. No, no, no. We have God to help us. And I wish you'd jot this down. First of all, we have God the Father. This is the good part. We have God the Father. If you turn over in chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians and look in verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify. That word just means to set apart from sin. You completely, that means every part of you, and the verse says that, and you, your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have God the Father to help us in this process. Not only that, we have God the Son. We have God the Son. You might just jot the verse down. It's in First Peter, chapter number two, verse 21. We'll not turn there, but in that verse, the Bible says Jesus left us an example that we should follow. So we have Jesus helping us by his example in addition to his teachings. And then we have God the Spirit. We have all three persons of the Trinity helping us. If you're in Thessalonians 1, turn over in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. It'll just be a page or two in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look in verse number 13. Paul said, we abound to give thanks to God always for you, beloved, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. So think of it this way. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Dr. Lord John Ogilvie, many of us read his devotional books. He's one of the greatest men of God that I ever knew. But he he explained this. He called it the glory circle. We have the glory circle. And like we as believers are in the middle of that circle. And then we have God the Father. We have God the Son, and we have God the Spirit. What Dr. Ovey would say is we need to understand as we live our Christian life, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Spirit. All three in one are helping us. He called it the glory circle. And so when you're out there battling some temptation and old flesh is trying to win over spirit, remember, you're not in the battle alone. You have the glory circle, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all working to be part to help you. But we have our role in this process. It's not like nothing we're to do. And our role, I mentioned only three things very quickly. First of all, Bible reading and meditation. You're never going to grow in the process of being in the likeness of Christ any more than you are right now, not reading more Bible than you do presently in your life. And, and, and meditation, meditation's where you, you, you think about what you've read, you, you read it, you say, what did it mean to the people of that day? And then like, how does it apply to me today? That's the meditation part. And then prayer, that's another, that's another part of our role in sanctification. And then not only that, self-discipline. So you have to be self-disciplined to have time with God every day. It won't just happen. It won't just happen. You're going to have to decide, hey, I'm going to have to not do this, or I'm going to have to get up earlier. or I'm going to have to make this change or that change. It's sad to say many professing Christians today will spend far more time reading their newspaper than reading the Word of God. You know, we've just got all these things that, I mean, they're just 24 hours in the day. They're just seven days in a week. You can't make a day. You can't make an hour, but you can make use of a day. You can make use of an hour. Self-discipline. Or as I think about this whole matter of sanctification, think of this. One day, if you're a Christian, you're going to stand before God at the beam of judgment. Now, you're not going to be judged by your sins. They've already been judged. That's the great white throne judgment. I pray you won't be at that judgment. That's for the non believer. That's for those who would not accept Christ. But for all of us who've trusted Jesus, one day we're going to stand before God Himself at the beam of judgment. And the Bible says we're going to give an account unto God for the things we've done in our body, whether they be good or bad. You know what we're going to be judged by? We're going to be judged, not by our sins. We're going to be judged on our sanctification. We're going to stand before Almighty God. And you think about that a moment. Have you done well with this? Are you growing in likeness of Christ? Do your decisions and does your lifestyle, is it one that Jesus left an example? Now, here's what I know. All of us would say, no, not, not as much as it should be. And you know what the devil will do? He'll dump a pile of guilt because none of us are there yet. Could I have an amen to that? Amen. No, no. Here's what we need to do this morning. Let's just draw a line in the sand and admit to God, God, (laughs) 73 years I've been this journey. And I'm a long way, God, from where I know I should be. But I can't redo my 73 years, God. So I'm going to ask you to forgive me where I've not been self-disciplined, where I've not read my Bible, where I've not meditated where my decisions have not been what they should have been, where my lifestyle's not been what it should have been. Look, folks, we could we, all of us could fill up a big old bucket of that, a barrel. But let's just take that big old bucket and barrel this morning and just put it on the blood of Jesus and ask God to forgive us. But look, you know, God forgives when there's repentance. And repentance means a person changes. And that's this line in the sand we're gonna draw this morning and say, okay, God, I repent of all that, And God, repentance means, and you know if it's real, and here's how God knows it's real. Hey, you know it's real. God gave you a brain. It's real when you change and say, beginning today, God, with a glory circle helping me, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do my part. And for however long I have left on this earth, God, in this process of sanctification, God, I'm asking you to help me live and be more in the likeness of Jesus, that my decisions and my lifestyle be in the will of God. And I don't do it alone, God. I'm asking you to help, but I'm promising you this morning, God, I'm making a commitment to you. I'm going to do my part, and I know
0: you'll do your part. The first step in the process of us doing our part in sanctification is to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you would like to do that now, won't you say this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.